Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Molecule to Market from a special DCAT mini series uh, from New York City, where I am based right now. So, what we did is interview uh, a few key opinion leaders in the space who attended DCAT this week just to get their take on the sector, the event, and what's going on in their world right now. So enjoy these short snippets and let us know what you think. If you like it, we'll do some more at the CPHI North America event, maybe Interfex and CPHI Worldwide later this year. So your feedback would be hugely appreciated. And as always, thank you so much for listening and for all your kind feedback. And if you haven't already, please give us a kind five-star rating on your app store. Enjoy. Hey, John. Great to be you. Tell our listeners who you are and what you do. Yeah, Raman, thank you. And first of all, it's great to be here. It's even better to be in New York City this week. It's, it's <laughs> in great. person. It's great to be here in person. And I know we'll talk a little bit about that. But my, my name is John Lenahan. I lead the commercial team uh, within Emergent Biosolutions in our CDMO business. Hey, David. Fantastic to meet you at DCAT here in the Lexington. Which yeah, is, likewise. Uh, we have a bit of background noise, but that's okay because yep. we're, we're here. Uh, just to start off with, please tell our uh, listener a bit about you and who you are and what you do. Yeah, so thanks for having me. I'm David Enlow. Uh, I'm the CEO, President CEO of what is now Four Days In, uh, known as Societal CDMO. It's formerly Recro. And um, uh, this is my, I've spent half of my career on the innovator side, the other half on the CDMO side, almost dead even at this point in my life. And uh, this is actually my fifth CDMO to be uh, part of. So uh, I've seen them big and I've seen them small and this one's in the middle. So <laughs> I have to ask the question, um, which did you prefer, being on the drug sponsor side or the CDMO side? Uh, yes. <laughs> so I, I, I think both of them have uh, their own benefits. I, I will say that one of the, almost everybody has a reason that they joined the, the got into the life sciences space and mine was around my grandmother uh, getting ill and, and ultimately passing away with cancer and one good thing and, and something that I really enjoy about the CDMO side is the number of disease indications that my colleagues and I get to be part of impacting, a small part, but a part of impacting and and so uh, I find that rewarding and, and just there's a lot of dis diversity and uh, a lot of different folks and different problems that we get to help solve. So I find it very rewarding. I have a very special guest who is my next DCAT interviewee and it is my lovely colleague Yasmin Davoudi from Remarketing. Yasmin, please tell our listeners who you are and what you do. Hi everyone, so I am Yasmin and I'm the Head of Commercial at Remarketing. So I look after the new business development side of the business and I've been here for the past six years. I am here with the wonderful Gil Roth. Gil, tell our listeners who you are and what you do. I'm Gil Roth, I'm the President of the Pharma and Biopharma Outsourcing Association or PBOA. We're a nonprofit trade group that represents CMOs and CDMOs with legislative and regulatory issues but also gives those sorts of companies the ability to talk to one another and share best practices and learn what's going on in the industry and basically try to, to increase awareness of the whole CDMO space. 
Well played. I really Thanks. enjoy it. It's not your first time. Oh, no, no. <laughs> I've given myself media training. So. <laughs> hey, John, just tell us to start off with kind of what's going on in your world right now. Anything exciting happening at Emergent? And sure. any, any, any big things that you'd like to share with our, our listeners? No, yeah, thank you. So um, for those that don't know, Emergent is a biologic CDMO. We support about 70 clients now through kind of a full development offering and manufacturing offering. We actually call it, ironically, molecule to market <laughs> service offering, so it kind of fits well with that. It's a great that. name. <laughs> it's a great name. And I think it rings true with, with clients and in the industry. I think, you know, we've, we've seen and you've probably seen clients, especially the smaller side, that look for you know, an integrated offering to help them get through development and manufacturing. And we offer nine manufacturing sites and development sites that can support clients kind of through that development journey from preclinical through launch of a product. So a full one-stop shop tire style. But Sometimes we don't like using that phrase generally. But <laughs> yeah, it's become a little bit of a, a bad word in the industry. I, I think what we see is larger, more experienced organizations are willing to use multiple providers to find best-in-class providers sure. in each kind of segment of the journey. But there still is an, uh, an appetite for uh, an integrated provider, um, especially for small innovators that okay. don't have the bandwidth or the experience to engage with a number of service providers. And all your sites are in the U.S., is that correct? They are not. So okay. we are international. We have, Most of our sites are in the U.S. We also have a facility, a CDMO facility in Winnipeg okay. in Canada and in Bern, Switzerland. Oh, very good, very good. So truly international. Yes, CDMO. yes. David, so you mentioned societal CDMO and has just recently changed name, which I read also this morning. <laughs> Tell us about what's happening in the organization, what exciting things in addition to the, I suppose, the, the change in name. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, so I've been at uh, what was Recro Now Societal for uh, a year and three months. And uh, over that time, uh, we've really focused on diversifying our customer base and broadening the types of things that we can do. Our focus certainly is in the small molecule space, which remains the largest part of the market and uh, still growing. And uh, uh, its demise is greatly exaggerated, I can tell you that. And, and I started in gene therapy and, and have kind of gone backwards in time towards small molecule. However, um, uh, you know, we, we acquired a company in August uh, that's based on the in the West Coast, uh, in San Diego, where I ha happen to live, and um, <clears throat> that acquisition plus what Recro had been doing uh, historically now brings essentially the full suite of formulation dosage form offerings that uh, can be created, everything from multi-particulate, extended, modified release, oral solid dose, all the way to uh, sterile injectables. Right. So uh, it's exciting to, to be part of the company right now. And as a marketing man, I have to ask, tell us more about the name Societal, yeah. what does it mean? Yeah, I mean, uh, first of all, Recro doesn't really have a meaning, and, and uh, quite frankly, its legacy is not that, as a company, of a CDMO. And so, uh, there's a bit of, we're a publicly traded company, there's a bit of confusion in the market there. And then Irisys, uh, that acquisition brought a sizable percentage of new employees to our company. So we had, you know, really two identities, uh, quite similar in additive, if not synergistic cultures. But uh, I believed, one, uh, it was a good time to 
to uh, use a rebrand to really bring our two entities together as one in, in a uni united way. But also, uh, we see more and more of our employees as, as uh, uh, some of us are aging out and, and, and there's new generations of, of uh, uh, people coming into our industry that uh, they really want to have an impact on people. They want to do things that are changing lives. That are, that they want to be part of something bigger than themselves. They want to work for a cause, not for a company. Mm -hmm. and, and we felt like the word societal uh, meant something. Mm -hmm. And, and, and uh, our tagline is, is bringing science to society. And that really does a nice job of summarizing where the CDMO world, sure. a lot of people don't, what we, don't know what we do. But I mean, we're the bridge from a cool idea to a patient getting a drug, and, and so it's a very important role. It's an honor, it's a privilege to be in this industry, and, and I think the name captures all of that. No, I love it. I love uh, the meaning behind it mm -hmm. and the potential uh, kind of impact on recruitment as well yep. as as well as client acquisition. Gil, what's going on in your world right now? Any exciting things happening at PBOA? Sure. Well, we've brought a number of new members on in recent months, but. You know, a lot of that stuff is driven by some of the value we provide as an association when it comes to, again, educating CDMOs and the companies they work with and, and Congress and FDA and other groups. So one of the big areas of interest has been the, the user fee reauthorizations that the well, FDA and industry negotiate, Congress passes, the White House uh, signs into law. and. We help negotiate the new generic drug user fee amendments, but one of the things about that is once all of those user fees get negotiated, Congress figures out all these other FDA-related bills to add to that. And we've been sort of working with Congress and talking with FDA about some of the ideas they have and things they want to see added as part of the overall reauthorization package. And some of that stuff comes around pandemic preparedness, which is obviously a huge issue. There are onshoring uh, uh, pieces of legislation that are out there, which we always try to, to explain what those things are really going to mean and how everybody has a shore ultimately, and you can't go all onshore at the same time. Um, but really getting into some of the, the realities of the CDMO space and getting uh, policymakers to understand what can and can't be, you know, quote unquote, fixed and what things really can be improved in areas where we think that you know helping with CDMOs in different areas could really improve manufacturing robustness going forward. Hey John, DCAT. So from my perspective, it seems to be quite buzzing this week and uh, I've certainly really enjoyed my week in New York. So let me ask, do you think events are back for good? Uh, any insights on you, how you guys are going to approach them going forward? Um, any, any other kind of comments around how it's been for you at sure. DECA? I think if the last two years have taught us anything, it's maybe to be cautiously optimistic. <laughs> um, but when I, when I arrived on Monday, I, I walked into the Lexington, the hotel. That, that's where I've stayed in years past, and it, it felt like I was going back to 2019. I mean, there were people around, people were having engagements and talking. Um, so it's been really great to be back. Uh, there's been a lot of energy, I think, around being back. We've, you know, in the number of client meetings we have, we, we've been talking, you know, in the beginning of those meetings, just it's great to see you. It's great to put a, a real face with the virtual face that we've seen, you know, for the last two years. So, you know, this, this optimism about being able to meet again, I think, has been kind of reinforced this week. And I think what we've seen, too, is that, you know, we've been forced to become very efficient in our virtual interactions. And it works in a lot of settings. 
but there's something that can't be replaced in the face-to-face interaction. It's kind of the spontaneity and the organic kind of interactions and conversations that happen that we've missed out on. And I think a lot of folks that we would engage with here at these types of meetings you know, are the folks that look for these types of opportunities to interact with industry colleagues, peers, um, you know, service providers, etc. David, obviously we're sat here up on the balcony mm-hmm. in, the, in the Lexington lobby. How has DCAT been for you? Um, love your thoughts on whether you think, or how you think companies will approach events going forward and does it feel like a normal DCAT to you? Yeah, I mean it feels, uh, it feels almost like a a full DCAT. I don't know what the numbers are, but I can tell you that uh, we've started meetings just at the light of day and we've ended them well after uh, uh, the sun has set. So, you know, in that respect, it's been almost entirely, you know, a full day. I mean, uh, I haven't eaten uh, a meal really other than dinner. And so in that regard, it's busy. but it's still down a little bit. I, I think there, some of the big guys are still a little bit cautious about uh, uh, coming to meetings, but I think this changes over time. Yeah, I, I agree. Yaz, DCAT has been buzzing this week. You and I have had a lovely time together. A couple of drinks, some lovely food. Do you think events are back for good? Or have you got any insight on how companies are gonna be approaching them going forward? I think they are back for good for the next six months. I think companies will go back to them over the next kind of six to nine months and then next year we'll really see how they're back and if they are back with a bank. How have you found DCAT in terms of how different it is from the virtual world that we've been living in in the last couple of years? It's DCAT has genuinely been amazing. Most people who've been to DCAT will know that it's not like any other trade event, but from what I can see this week, people are enjoying being back together again. Uh, meeting lobbies have been full. People have been able to go to dinner again. Um, so I think it's just been nice to get back together and speak to people face to face and have some of that informal time that virtual conferences don't often allow. Gil, DCAT seems to be buzzing this week. You and I have been here for a few days. Do you think events are back for good? Well, we're going to find out about a week or so after DCAT when we see what the positivity rates are like. I'm really hoping I didn't end up contracting anything. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I'm <laughs> going to cough right now. Yes. <coughs> Sorry. Luckily, we're both masked up on this call. I safe po- We're practicing safe podcasting. I'll tell you, I stayed masked in the hotel lobbies and public areas almost 100%. Within uh, hospitality suites, I took the mask off for meetings, which God knows how safe that all is. I did have one lobby meeting yesterday where I could tell the person, uh, English wasn't her first language, and I realized, you know, muffling my my face was just going to make this more difficult, so I actually unmasked in the lobby for a 20-minute conversation at the uh, the Intercontinental. So um, I'm, I'm going to attribute it, if I do end up contracting COVID, I'm going to blame that particular company. Uh, <laughs> just say it's all your fault. But yeah, I think the, the there's such a, a overwhelming sense of, oh my God, we can finally meet people again. We can have these in-person meetings. Uh, people are really dying for this sort of experience. I don't mean that in a bad way. They're really into this sort of experience, and so they're really happy to, to come back, especially to an event like DCAT that's very different than a standard trade show where it's you know big exhibit hall and you know you're standing at a booth. This is a much more intimate event, and I think people really really appreciated the opportunity. Um, 
one of the things that came up was a few CDMOs told me in the, the pre-pandemic time, DCAT was always slow, low number of meetings in day one, and then it accelerates Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and most of them said for this event, it was right out of the box on Monday. They were starting with 9 a.m. meetings because I think everybody wanted to, to get in as much time as they could after, we'll say two years without meetings, three years since the last DCAT. Yeah, that's interesting. That's almost exactly what, what I heard as well, that the velocity was there from, from day one, which is great. And now, except for me, I decide, since I drive in, um, people were asking, and I said, no, I'm, I'm starting noon on Monday. I'm not starting my Monday by trying to drive into New York City, because and, and, I've had 8 a.m. starts to decap before. It's really exhausting. So I paced myself, but you know, I, I still managed to get to see a lot of people. Is there, in the, hey John, is there anything interesting that you've learned this week that you're able to share with the audience? It might be a statistic, it might be an insight, it just might be something that you didn't know previously. Sure. So we come to these events to meet with current clients, prospects, industry, net, industry connections. What we've seen a lot of is that there is still sustained demand for CDMO services. And you know, we, there's a lot of industry reports that kind of show growth trajectories, but kind of in our interactions with clients, it's very clear that clients are still looking to match technical need with capacity and in typically in an outsourced uh, situation. So there's absolutely a need that we've seen this week even for clients looking to say, okay, I have a very specific project this is exactly what I'm looking for in a partner. Which is excellent. It's good for the industry, good for you, good for business. It is, it is good for business. <laughs> David, anything interesting that you've learned at the show? Any uh, specific statistics or any insights? Anything that's just taken you by surprise? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that, that we've observed is that there are a lot more small to mid-sized companies active and engaged at this DCAT. I mean, I, I used to view this meeting really as, again, kind of the big pharma, big biotech, uh, macro sorts of uh, uh, types of meetings. But we've, we, first of all, it's serendipitous to us because we're really doing a lot of our growth with, and the, the size of company we are, we're well matched towards a small to mid-size uh, biopharma company. And we've had a lot of meetings with those sorts of companies who, who typically are not attending. The statistic that goes with that though is that in 2020, uh, I believe it was 47% of the drugs approved, uh, small molecule drugs approved were owned by small to mid-sized companies and so you know traditionally you would get so far and you'd lob it over the wall to to uh, the big pharma partner to finish the job it's not the case anymore so so these companies that are smaller uh, are far more virtual but they have built in uh, a lot more sophistication and a lot more market staying power and, and uh, so they're having to take a longer view of a drug uh, development process. And those conversations have been interesting. And, and the fact that we've had all these meetings aligns with the statistic I just told you that yeah. uh, how these drugs are staying with much longer than they have in the past. That's fascinating. And it's interesting even just the role of the CDMO to take some of these companies on the journey because the CDMO has done it and helped commercialize products which is quite an interesting yeah I mean well. I, I think look dial back far enough I mean CDMO is kind of a new word mm. I and mean, it was CMO yeah and and that was back in the days where it was just you know 
you be quiet and you go make our drug and you know just emit just manufacture it right and and we began to have the audacity to call ourselves a CDMO and we almost did it quietly to make sure we weren't you know put back in our corner and I'm talking about 20 years ago 15 years ago now and and now CDMO is is the the quote word that we use for for our company because we really are uh, we are PhD laden we are technical heavy we are part of the design process with these uh, therapeutics and the sponsors and the owners of these drugs absolutely appreciate that value and 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 therefore they're looking more for partnership of types of approaches Agreed. and uh, it's far less third-party than it's been in the past guys I suspect your week's been amazing because you spent most of it with me <laughs> <laughs> is there anything really interesting that you've learned this week like an insight or a statistic or something that you'd like to share with with our audience I think one of the most interesting conversations that we've had this week was with a consultant um, that we know really well and they were talking about benchmarking in the industry from a pricing perspective. Now we often look at this from a marketing perspective, you know, market spend, trends, challenges, but it just highlighted how difficult it is in this in this industry to benchmark, um, to create averages because every company is so different. They price things and their capabilities so differently and their location and size often contributes as well. So I think that was the most interesting learning. That is a really interesting insight. And interestingly enough, one of the things that I heard from a buyer side was often how difficult it is to assess CDMOs against each other because it's not always apples for apples and that person suggested there should be a standardized way of pricing. So that might be one for the future. Gil, is there anything interesting that you have learned this week that you're able to share with our audience in terms of a statistic or an insight? Well, it's really one of the things that came up from a number of the, the PBOA member companies as well as some of the prospective companies, uh, prospective members I talked to. The number of their meetings where clients wanted to talk about uh, supply chain resilience. They wanted to know more about sourcing, more about secondary sourcing. Some of them were like potential customers said, look, we've got one. CMO, but you know, we're looking at how do we position to make sure there's a second source because of potential export bans or other catastrophes along the lines of the pandemic. And that was something that came up in the very first conversation I had and then, then recurred over the course of, of those next three days. A lot of people, a lot of customer side people want to talk about the supply of, of the products and the APIs and everything else. So yeah, that was a um, it was informative to, to know that was the case. It wasn't just a catching up with with old business or potential new ones, but really guys trying to, to understand what supply chain is going to mean in this new world. Hey John, final question is uh, you know what would you say is the kind of biggest trend impact in the CDMO space right now? Sure, I to kind of go back to something from a moment ago. I think effectively matching need to capacity in the industry. And there are there are a lot of CDMOs that do a lot of different things. Some have a very broad service offering, some are more niche. And being able to kind of link together, you know, our capacity offering, our capabilities at the appropriate time, at the appropriate scale is really critical. And I think, you know, what we're seeing with clients is they're making more informed decisions mm-hmm. about their manufacturing partners. And so we need to be prepared to make sure that you know, we are putting together a value proposition that effectively speaks to and meets our clients' needs. 
Very good. Thank you so much for being on Molecule. It's a pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much. David, final question, because I know I've managed to persuade you to come on and do a full mm. interview at some point. Biggest trend impact in the CDMO space right now? It doesn't have to be something you've necessarily learned at DCAT, just generally speaking. Yeah, I mean, there are a couple of things. I mean, because of what I just said about the, the, the D and CDMO and the, and the brain power that that implies, uh, our side of the industry has become very attractive for uh, an employee coming into the space, mm -hmm. all right? And that because, because of everything I just said about societal, yeah. about getting to touch more lives, all of those things, and that's real. And this war for talent, as you know, yeah. is, is very real. And, um, and so, you know, we need to engineer a company that's engaging, rewarding, and fulfilling for folks. And, uh, and it's very important to our clients that, that we have the right sorts of people. And that's where I spend, uh, I mean, I am our lead recruiter, <laughs> even though we have outstanding recruiting yeah. uh, uh, that we have inside and, and partners outside as well. But, uh, you know, that, that's, uh, that's job one right now is having the right people at the right place. Excellent. David, thank you very much for being a guest on Molecule to Market here live at DCAT. Yeah, thank you. Last question, Yaz. What would you say is the biggest trend impact in the CDMO space right now or something that you think our audience should be aware of? I think the biggest trend, we're seeing lots of clients emerge to start investing in injectables, lots of clients start to invest and look at large molecule capabilities. And definitely from a marketing point of view, what we're seeing is companies look at that from a capabilities standpoint. How does, do those capabilities fit into their portfolio? What does that mean in terms of who they are in the market, how they position themselves? And that's been one of the key kind of talking areas for a lot of our clients this week. And I think those that do it really well, um, you know, often succeed, but it's really difficult to position yourself. You know, are you a big player? Are you a niche kind of mid-sized player? Um, I think a lot of companies are figuring out how that works right now. Yes, thanks very much. Thank you. Final question, Gail. What would you say is the biggest trend impacting the CDMO space right now? It, it, it divides up a little bit, depends on which part of CDMO you're in. Obviously, vaccine, messenger RNAs, etc., there's huge investment in fill finish from a dosage form perspective. Um, we also, I think, everybody's keeping an eye on what onshoring is really going to mean as various governments try to, to invest more domestically to build manufacturing bases. You know, either is it going to create opportunities for CDMOs and API suppliers to build, uh, you know, to add on to capacity or build in areas they haven't been, or is it going to result in companies that are already in certain regions being undercut by governments trying to incentivize more people to come in and, and do business? So I think onshoring is going to be a major industry-wide trend as we see how it plays out, but also particularly in the oral in the, uh, the, the vaccine space and the sterile fill finish world, seeing where the investments are, what supply chain issues mean as you're trying to, to build and expand capacity, and then whether something that we've encountered over 20 plus years in the CDMO space, whether there is too great an investment in certain areas and you end up with a glut of capacity in an area that once upon a time, you know, there was a scarcity and there was a lot of need for investment. So seeing how that stuff weighs out and what the timelines are like are going to be really fascinating to me over the next couple of years. Gilroth, thank you very much. Thank you. It's been great to come in. Thank you. Hi again. Thanks so much for tuning in to Molecule to Market. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. You can find more shows on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen. 
Get in touch with us on our website, moleculetomarketpod.com and follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter and we will see you again next week. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. The podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. Molecule to Market is sponsored and funded by Remarketing, an international content, digital, and design agency that helps companies get noticed, raise profile, and generate leads in life sciences.